the voices of Cameroonian human rights defenders, one of which has been disguised for security reasons. I will say the situation of human rights defenders in Cameroon has a voice, but they are struggling to find themselves in the country because many a times human rights defenders don't want to say they are activists, but rather will say they are advocating for human rights because nobody wants to find themselves in trouble. They don't want to be jailed. The Anglophone crisis has impacted me in many negative ways, uh, ranging from moments where I had to go on strike for two years, uh, the lawyer strike, uh, where I was depending on handouts from family and friends, the point where I had to move my family. As a matter of fact, my family is still internally displaced. Um, and then I had to come back and then start looking for means and then had to close my office and join some other colleagues when work resumed. The point where my village, my house in the village was burned down and a family member killed. Talking of experiencing frightening situations here in Cameroon, <laughs> one would say that seriously linking it to those of us living in the restive areas where the war is currently going on or oh, yes everyone has experienced a frightening situation talk less of people who stand to defend and promote human rights i pray one day god almighty will grant me the opportunity to share my horrible experience with maximum security over my life and family. I think it is possible to live a free life in Cameroon, depending of course from which area of the country you come from and whether you are French or English speaking. I warmly welcome you to our next Let's Talk Human Rights podcast episode. My name is Masi Chabamdaka and I am happy that you have tuned in again. If you've been following this podcast journey through Sub-Saharan Africa for the last two seasons with host Nangam Sukwinana, you would have met some exciting people. In the upcoming episodes, we will meet more interesting experts and learn more about the human rights situation in various African countries. Our journey today is taking us back to Cameroon. If you've missed our previous episode on Cameroon, take a listen. You will find the links in this podcast's show notes. Our last episode explored the Anglophone crisis in Cameroon. Elvis, would you come in as a bilingual speaker of both English and French? How can a country in which the population does not speak a mutual language prevent such conflicts in the future? Well, uh, thank you. I would uh, start by just saying that, uh, you know, Cameroon have over 250 ethnic groups and they are uh, 24 major tribal languages uh, groups used in the country alongside French and English you already mentioned as the official language. The multiplicity of this ethnic conflict that is uh, uh, both armed and unarmed, the crisis uh, of the tribalistic orientation of the state, tensions uh, between communities and the emergency of ethno-regional social movements are all indicatives of this uh, present crisis that we are facing right now. Today, we'll be looking at the unfolding situation in Cameroon. Currently, the two English-speaking regions of Cameroon are witnessing an escalation of violence that has led to the death of several people. 
This is a result of violent confrontations between Cameroon's military and the defense forces of Ambazonia. Ambazonia is an independent state in the Anglophone regions of southern Cameroon. Since the AFCON Cup, the main international men's association of football competition in Africa, there has been a rise in kidnappings, mass arrests, detentions, as well as attacks on educational establishments. Now to give us some more input on this topic, I am very pleased to have Esther Njoma Omam joining me. Esther, founder and executive director of Reach Out Cameroon, is one of Cameroon's leading women peace builders and women's rights advocates. For over 26 years, Esther has represented and been the voice of grassroots women and youth suffering diverse human rights abuses, marginalization, and disempowerment. Esther was the first woman to testify at the hearing at the United Nations Security Council on the humanitarian crisis in Cameroon in 2019. She shone the light on the Anglophone crisis plaguing the Northwest and Southwest regions and achieving international recognition for it. At the time, this was one of the most neglected crises in the world. Esther, thank you for joining us today for this very important episode. Could you, in two to three sentences, summarize what has happened during the Anglophone crisis? What has happened during the Anglophone crisis is that uh, our people have been subjected to so much pains and sufferings uh, for that which they never bargained for. There have been so many killings, atrocities committed as tragedial killings and uh, uh, arbitrary arrest. You've had uh, property destroyed you have huge uh, internal, internal uh, displacements and uh, people fleeing to neighboring uh, country. This is what we've seen uh, for the past few years. We've had children who have been denied access to schools, to education. Cameroon's renowned member of the Senate from the Northwest region and a prominent human rights lawyer and activist, Senator Henry Kamende, was brutally murdered at his Bamenda hometown on Tuesday, the 11th of January, 2022, during what was then the start of the Africa Cup of Nations tournament in Cameroon. Senator Kamende was a lawyer and lawmaker for the Social Democratic Front, the SDF party, one of Cameroon's main opposition parties. How was the senator's assassination related to the Anglophone crisis? And would you potentially say this crime was politically motivated? Uh, this is just one of the many uh, killings which have occurred in the course of uh, the ongoing crisis in the two restive regions. We've had so many people, so many personalities who have lost their lives to this crisis. And uh, Senator Kemende is just one of those unfortunate ones who equally uh, uh, fell victim of uh, this senseless war, which uh, we live every day. Talking if it's politically motivated, I wouldn't say. Because up to now, Nobody has claimed responsibility of his killing. But one thing we know is that he is somebody who spoke truth to power. He, he, he was always outspoken, trying to point out one or two issues of uh, 
what was going wrong in in the cause of uh, all what we are living in our two restive uh, regions. Uh, that alone could attract enmity. But I want to tell you something. Uh, this uh, dirty war has made so many victims from innocent uh, people. Esther, how, in your view, has the government of Cameroon responded to Senator Kamende's death, especially in light of his funeral, which has just taken place this past weekend? Well, uh, one thing I would say is that uh, the death of Senator Kamende uh, shook us to the core because uh, this is also one personality in this country who mattered just like any other life which mattered. We saw his colleagues, uh, they seen it, you know, uh, respecting moments of silence for him. But we equally saw during his funeral the state sending representatives, you know, to uh, honor him by decorating him post-mortem. This is what we know about uh, government's concern. His death concerns all of us, not only the government. It concerns civil society. It concerns the civilians and equally uh, the government, and most particularly his party, which he belonged to. And um, I will not talk so much about government's reaction. I want to talk about our reaction. What is the reaction of each and every one of us Cameroonians, you know, with regards to Senator Kemende's state? What does it tell us? What does it remind us? It tells us and it reminds us that uh, the time has come to let dry bones go. The time has come, you know, for us to face the issues and speak it out. The time has come for us to consider violence as the enemy and not the individuals. Human life has become so cheap in my country today that for just nothing, a common issue, people's lives are taken away, you know, as if we were taking a, a, a chicken to the chickens to the to the slaughterhouse. And we are saying that this should not be the case. When you say something, it aggrieves some people, and the next moment you hear that you are no longer, you are no more there, you are not alive, you're killed. Why should it be so? So again, I'm reiterating that the time has come for us to consider the uh, violence as the enemy and not individuals. It is the sole responsibility of each and every one of us to put in energy in denouncing such killings, in condemning them and doing that which is the right thing. Doing that which is the right thing means that each and every one of us should become a mediator wherever we find ourselves. We should be peace builders wherever we find ourselves. There is nothing that cannot be arranged. We all owe it a duty to build bridges of peace at this moment. When we look at the devastating effects caused by this ongoing crisis and where people go after their greed and not putting the people's interests first. We have a crisis which is not people-centered. We have leadership who say they are fighting or working for the benefit of the people but these same people are the victims of the cruelty of what is going on. 
Esther, indeed, I do share your sentiments um, regarding Senator Kamenda's death. It did send shockwaves not only in Cameroon, but globally, especially on the African continent. You have already cited that, you know, Senator Kamenda's death, among other deaths which have taken place, unfortunately, in Cameroon, um, Senator Kamenda is, is not an exception. Um, what is happening in Cameroon right now as we speak? As we speak... Uh... Two days ago, a lady just lost her life. A healthcare worker of the Cameroon Baptist Health Services lost her life. She was shot dead by some gunmen simply because she went out to carry out health programs in the community. She went out for a life-saving mission. And upon return, she and her colleagues were shot. And unfortunately, she lost her life. This is what has been going on in this country these days. Recently, a boarding school was burned down to ashes. With everything varying depriving children from education simply because the separatists, the non-state armed groups would not want them to go and march for the 11th of February. During AFCON, children were being brutalized. They were dehumanized. And simply because they went to school, simply because they want to be educated. This is what has been happening. We have communities which have been destroyed. We have houses which are burned down, entire villages which are raised, which are burned down by the military in search of non-state armed groups. We have people who are denied access to their primary source of income, which is their farms and what have you. This is what is going on these days in our restive regions. So many killings, so many destructions, so much deprivation leading to pains and suffering. Esther, we stated in the beginning of our podcast that the two English-speaking regions in Cameroon are witnessing an escalation of violence leading to the death of several people. And um, you have now just informed us about what has just taken place two days ago in the country, among other developing stories. Did the increase in the violence only begin with the Africa Cup tournament, the soccer tournament? I wouldn't say so. We've had, we've seen violence before Afghan and we've seen violence after Afghan. Afcon was just one of the targets, you know, uh, uh, during which we saw other forms of violence, the use of improvised uh, explosive uh, devices. 
But these, they've started using them before AFCON, and we continue hearing about gunshots, bombing, and the usage of uh, these uh, IEDs, you know, in some parts of our restive um, regions. So when we talk about escalation, really, there was a time when we thought it would be a, non, a time of no return. This was 2019. This was 2021, where we saw people being beheaded, women being killed in a very, very dishumanizing way. And uh, with AFCON, we saw the use of IDs in the town of Limbe, here in the southwest, where the tournament was being played. We heard about people being killed. We heard about women being brutalized in other places. We've had children who were shot while going to school. And uh, we saw Barista Kemende being killed in the Northwest, not in the Southwest, where the tournament was being played. So basically, what do I mean? What I mean is that ever since the start of this conflict, we've seen the dynamics changing every time. We do not have a particular time when we will say uh, violence has decreased or is stable. You have periods where you have escalating violence and you have periods where you think everything is going back to normal, see? And then just of a sudden, you see or hear again about escalation of violence. So I wouldn't say it is because of AFCOM, but what I will say for sure is that during AFCOM, we had incidents of violence. Esther, you speak to the changing dynamic of the escalation and violence. Um, with the game changing, if one would call it that, what are the people of Cameroon expecting from their government right now? Yes, first of all, when I talk about the uh, uh, changing dynamics of this conflict, it's because uh, in the beginning it was without arms. Later on, we saw people getting uh, the non-state armed groups getting their guns, and after we saw them getting AK-47, and uh, today we are hearing about uh, improvised uh, explosive uh, devices, IEDs, and other uh, forms of uh, arms, which uh, uh, modern arms, which uh, are being uh, used today. And each time we we hear about um, violence or a de-escalation of violence, something else comes up to bring back violence, and that's why we talk about the changing. Um, we talk about the changing dynamics. You have the ghost towns which are imposed. You have the lockdowns which are imposed. 
because of one event or the 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 or the other. And I will say that today people are getting tired. The general impression is that people are tired. People are tired because uh, this conflict finally is now on the people, on the civilians, the innocent civilians, whom the non-certain groups claim to be uh, working for, you know. Now, when you kill people, when you commit atrocities in communities where people's expectations were high, what you get is lost of interest in all what is happening. What you get is hopelessness. And this is a stage where we are today. Esther, I just want to touch on what you have just spoken about regarding the civilian population of Cameroon. You say they are tired, they are frustrated, and they are hurting. I want to bring the conversation now to the people who one would maybe regard as the frontliners in defending the space around the human rights concerns in Cameroon. Do human rights defenders and opposition politicians feel safe in Cameroon right now? And Esther, if you will allow me, are there moments where you, as a human rights advocate and defender, fear for your life or for the lives of those that you love? One thing is sure that uh, if you are called a frontliner uh, or a human rights uh, defender, then it means that uh, you should be very careful. You should watch out your steps look behind and in front before taking any action because definitely you are going to be victimized in one way or the other. You know, people have their narratives which they want human rights defenders to hold on, but we usually say that we have our narrative, which is typical to us. We should not be forced, we should not be coerced, you know, to 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 use others' narrative, especially parties to the conflict. Now when you say something which is not good, for the non-state armed groups, you become a victim. And if you say something which does not please government, you are in trouble. So where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in the middle of uh, danger, you know. We are caught up with uh, this uh, particular aspect of uh, uh, the left and the right, you know, watching and following carefully our actions. The reason why we as human rights defenders try to be as impartial as much as we can so that our narrative is well leveled and targets the issues, not the people or the parties in conflict. So that our narrative, we conscientize the parties in conflict, make them uh, understand what is expected of them from us, the population and human rights defenders, and not attack the persons. And again, as I keep saying, violence is the enemy, not the individuals. And of course, yes, I do not feel safe at every moment of my life. I, I think uh, it may interest you to know that uh, my children waking up, uh, I've been brutalized on several occasions in my house. My office, my own collaborators have been kidnapped on several occasions and we've been receiving threats every day, death threats every day. And um, so it's not easy to be uh, a frontliner because every day you go out, you make a public statement 
this endangers your life because you don't know who will take it. Otherwise, some people do not even know about our mandate as human rights defenders. Some people, you know, do not know that uh, we have our code of conduct. And at times I hear people intimidating me on social media, threatening, calling and saying that, why did you not say it is this people, this group? Why didn't you say it this way? And I keep telling people, as I'm saying, uh, that we have our code of conduct and that we will not take what A or B wants us to take or say. We will say that which we see, the way we see them, and we'll propose solutions the way we analyze the things in an impartial way. Esther, these are indeed very harrowing accounts of uh, your personal experience where your work has literally brought itself into your personal space. You are a human rights defender in a country where it is not easy to freely express one's opinion. What does freedom mean to you personally? Freedom to me is a country where I clasp the hand of my brother or sister and we move together hand in hand and our voices ringing with laughter. Freedom to me is a country where violence is considered the enemy and not the I or the he or she. This to me is freedom. This to me is peace. Esther, we're coming to the end of this episode. And before I ask my last question, is there anything else you would like to share with us today? Yes, what I was want to say is that uh, I'm calling on all Cameroonians to know that it's our collective responsibility to right the wrongs uh, right. We've been brutalized to the core, some of us. We've been crossing through many uh, uh, rivers full with dangers and uh, the roughness of the road will have discouraged us from being frontliners. But we keep walking the talk and we keep being resilient because we think that peace is possible and that if we all have an open mind, we can make this work. Some of us refuse running away from this country despite the many threats. We remain resilient and true to our commitments because we believe in the people-centered approach. We believe that talking to people, coming together to discuss our issues and resolving the conflicts ourselves is a way of healing, you know. So we are calling on everyone that the time is now for us to look at each other and begin the healing process. We're coming to the end of this episode, Esther. I'd like to ask you one more question. What do you wish for the Cameroon of tomorrow? A Cameroon in which your children, and in an earlier conversation, Esther, you even spoke about your grandchildren, um, in a Cameroon where they will grow up safely, in peace, with freedoms, in a country where they know they can prosper. Yes. Firstly, going back to freedom. Freedom to me is being allowed to see things the way I want 
the way I see them without being intimidated, without being threatened. Freedom to me is being listened to and I being able to listen to the other. And what I hope for my country is to see a country where all Cameroonians move together in harmony, a country free of corruption, a country where civil liberties are respected, a country where democracy is at the top, where people can express themselves freely and resolve their issues amicably without resorting to violence. This, to me, is my dream country. A country where my children will sing a song of love, joy, and peace. A country where my grandchildren will come and be proud of knowing that they were frontliners who paved the way for them to come and enjoy. Esther, I would like to thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today. It has indeed been a pleasure to speak to you and talk about what this means, not only in your work, but also, as I mentioned, what this has meant for you as a human being, as a human rights defender, as a mother, as a grandmother, all of these things, and which really one has to commend in terms of the plight that you and the people of Cameroon are facing. And for that, I say thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for being with us today and um, sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for hearing me out uh, and bringing me to this platform to talk about uh, what's happening in my country. This is our little way of uh, making the world to know that all is not well and that we, the Cameroonians, have so much work to do. We must come together, whether we like it or not, we must come together as a people to discuss our issues and try to see how we can resolve them amicably. This is what it is all about. Thank you. That was Esther Njomo Omam for our Cameroon episode. It's clear that the people of Cameroon have suffered a great deal, and the impact of this on their lives is something that they did not bargain for. Esther's reflection that it's time to, and I quote, let dry bones go, and the fact that human life in Cameroon has been cheapened by the ongoing conflict is evidence that we need to consider violence as the enemy and not each other. Dialogue needs to be more inclusive, there needs to be a responsible narrative around the issues at hand and the importance to do no harm in conflict, even when one's own life is under threat. My right, your right, our right. Humanity is for us all. The Friedrich Naumann Foundation Sub-Saharan Africa, FNF, is an independent German organization that is committed to promoting liberal ideals and politics in Africa, such as human rights, the rule of law, democracy, innovation, digitization, and free trade. By conducting campaigns, media events, seminars, workshops, study tours, cultural happenings, and training courses. The Foundation promotes human rights, including freedom of expression, freedom of the press, children's rights, 
and LGBTQIA plus rights and engages against violence against women and capital punishment. If you are interested in our activities, follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Simply check for Friedrich Naumann Foundation Africa.